My sermon this morning uh, is entitled Transformed Living. Transformed Living. Uh, for me, um, in reading this passage, it's, it's where Paul actually swings his emphasis from um, encouragement into what he calls an exhortative mode, where he is encouraging people into action. Uh, their conduct, their behavior, come and now do this. If you believe that God is leading you in this way, this is the way of life to lean into. Um, and he's urging them to press into that. And so this morning, uh, as we read, keep that at the very center of your, of your thinking this morning as we, as we read together. But before we do, uh, let me pray. Uh, Lord, it's, it's good to come to your word. It's good to open your word together. And Father, we're just so thankful that your spirit speaks when we don't have words and leads us when we don't um, have direction. And so we ask this morning that uh, as we do that together, as we reflect, Lord, that you would bring to light the things in our own lives that we must wrestle with um, from this passage and leave aside the things uh, that are not for us. Um, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, about two years ago, um, I got into a fitness buzz called CrossFit. Anyone into CrossFit? Yep, same response in the first service. <laughs> that many people. Uh, I didn't see a hand. There wasn't a hand there. Uh, CrossFit is this kind of intense kind of workout. It's all body weight sort of stuff. They've actually made TV programs about it in America. They make TV programs about anything in America. But um, this health fitness craze sort of went, went, went all over the place. And the reason why I got into it uh, was, well, to take stock of my own health um, and fitness a little more regularly. I'm, I'm getting a little bit older, you know, I'm 40 now. Um, and, uh, but that wasn't actually the real reason. The real reason was because I actually have a condition called atrial fibrillation. Uh, if there's any doctors in the room, they'll know what that is. It's where uh, one chamber in your heart goes, goes out, of, out of tune with the rest of them. It's an electrical fault. Um, any sparkies in the room? You're not helpful. That's just putting it out there. Um, but essentially, your heart goes out of rhythm, and it's brought on by stress. It's actually brought on by stress. And uh, I was going through my final sort of exams and assignments and that sort of stuff, and it sort of came to light in my body. Um, and it just, it just messes with you a little bit, and it, and it calls you into a space of saying, actually, I need to be a little bit more aware of my health. Anyone else feeling that at the moment? No, I'm the only fatty in the room. All right. Um, so after that scare, I'm, I'm kind of acutely aware of my need to keep this in check. Um, if I don't, my heart flees up. And, and when I get stressed, boom, you start getting this. Um, but more than that, I want to hang around with my family a little bit longer uh, than some of my uh, family members gone before me. And so it sits there with me. And what I've learnt about being attentive to my health um, is that it's not uh, an, an annual eight-week checkup thing, you know? It's not something you check the box once a year and she'll be right, you drink all the disgusting fruit juices they want you to drink and uh, eat healthy for a couple of weeks and then it's all sweet and you can go for another year and do nothing. That's not what it's about. Um, for me, I've learnt that it's an infusion into the way of life, the way of being that transforms the way I live. It's got to be. Otherwise, it just becomes that kind of regular cycle that we're a part of. 
And it's that regular element of choosing the right foods and, and uh, choosing to be active when I don't want to be active. It's a whole myriad of things that go into that, but it's a, it's a daily thing, not an annual thing. I had to allow this to become a whole life choice um, that would change not just with a seasonal checkup, uh, with a seasonal checkup, but for it to be fully effective in my life. And the Apostle Paul, in this section that we're about to read, does a kind of a health check with with the believers there as well. He's saying to them that, "Hey, you've you've become followers, and I've been encouraging you, but actually, to be followers of Jesus, to walk in this way, there are certain elements that you need to." have as a daily part of who you are. Certain challenges that will always be there, and I want to warn you of that. And so this morning, uh, he's asking them to allow that similar transformational work through his spirit into their life. And so if you want to follow along this morning, I'm going to have it on the screen. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8. Okay. As for other matters, brothers and sisters... We instructed you on how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are now uh, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, live into it more and more. If you know what inst- uh, for you know what instructions we gave you, and by the authority of the Lord Jesus, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Uh, And the message version talks about um, not a dogged pursuit, but a a living and spirited dance. That each of you should learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being. Paul's sort of defending himself there, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So I often like to get a little bit of historical perspective when I get into these passages. Um, Paul is an ama- he has an amazing rhythm of this particular um, exhortative mode right through all of his letters. And uh, one of my lecturers at college, um, he coined a term called chronological snobbery. Um, any of you went to Kerry, you would know that. Chronological snobbery. And I think One of the things when we start talking about or interacting with areas of sexual sin and immorality, we're like, oh, we would never never have to deal with what they dealt with, or they've never had to deal with what we've dealt with. And it's associated with that generalization, that we in today's world can act as though uh, we've been people, uh, we're the only people in history who've ever had to struggle with sexual sin. And in the context that we're, we're dealing with. And, you know, people in the 30s said to people in the 60s, you know, oh, the people in the 30s, they didn't have to deal with what we do. And then the people in the 80s said, oh, this, this chronological snobbery, we have it harder than the people who went before us. 
But the reality is that we live in a world that hasn't changed in its general philosophy about freedom and choice. Just as Paul is addressing the terms of social pressure and societal norms in this culture, he's addressing it in our culture. And it's quite easy for us to be a bit flippant and go, "Mm, I don't know if that's relevant to us. I found a wee quote uh, which will help you to see that this isn't something that just happened in our generation, but uh, many generations ago. And it's from a guy called Demosthenes in his Oration Against Nero from 400 BC. Okay? This, is, this is the prevailing attitude of that time. He says in there, We keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day bodily needs, But we have wives to produce legitimate children and serve as trustworthy guardians of our homes. All the ladies are like, whew. See, the problem with that quote is that that was the outlook of a reputable citizen of Athens in 400 BC. If you were someone of note, A male figure in that society, that's you, right there. I'm I'm astonished by that when I saw it. But that was normal for society back then. Two centuries later, there was a guy called Solon, and he was a great legislator of Athens, and he said that he he was going to legalize prostitution and he would proclaim that all the prophets that came from uh, prostitution in their state, run by the government, would go towards building temples. Who wants to be in that church? That's 200 years later. See, chronological snobbery might lead us to believe that we have a much harder existence when it comes to sexual sin and holiness, but we would be wrong. We would be wrong. The idea of confining sexual relations within marriage uh, was foreign to the Greek conventional morality of that period um, and as much as it was back in 400 years before. And I thought it's interesting that we could probably think that way, and so I needed to address that with us. But... Uh, One of my favorite scholars, his name's N.T. Wright, um, he actually summed up what I think uh, is, is, is a beautiful way of summing up exactly where we are in the world today. He says, Our modern world has turned sexual desire, preference, and practice into a moral free for all, where the only rule is that people must be allowed to express whatever desires happen to arise or be aroused. That's the world you and I live in. And I think those words are very true of us and where we're at. I found another rather horrific example in our media uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I saw it in the New Zealand Herald online. And it it, uh, was talking about a game called Rape Day. Steam is an online account which you pay money to and you can access games. This game, okay, this game called Rape Day, 
lets you become a sociopathic rapist for kicks. Now, thankfully, Steam has pulled that, but not before there was a huge amount of outcry about it. Sit with that for a second. That's the kind of game someone's thinking up as something we can get involved with. Uh, it's a little scary, isn't it? That's today's world. One has to ask the question, where does one come up with such a game? Where does one find the motivation for the material of, and, and, and where, does it, where does it have its genesis? Well, I think from a world that even Paul understood and knew to be obsessed with unbridled self-gratification. That's the world we live in, not just in terms of sexual stuff. You know it. I mean, we live in a world that's like, man, if I can have anything, I'm going to go for it. And no one's going to stop me because it's all about me and my needs and whatever desires that get aroused inside of me, you're an intolerant bigot, I can do whatever I want. Yeah? We've probably heard some of that. And see, Paul knew and he'd experienced himself being the one that used to go around and kill Christians. He'd experienced himself uh, and had been the persecutor. And he could see the dangers on the journey of living into a new and different way of life. He understood that there was something that would always be dragged around with us in our memory. And so he wrote with the sense of urgency to new believers, be sanctified, live into a Christian life with all moral purity. You see, for Paul, sexual purity was a defining behavior of those who proclaim to follow Jesus. There is a consistency to the strength of his focus on moral behavior right through his letters. You'll see it, it pops up every time. In fact, right at the end of this letter in Thessalonians, you'll see the four reiterated elements, moral behavior, um, following God, and, and living a purity and impurity in life. These things come up over and over. Why? Because he knows the power they have over communities, over individuals. There would be a cost. He knew that. And he needed to help them to understand it. And I think... We need to learn to understand that cost in our own lives. I think we live a little bit morally free-for-all in some areas of our lives. And Paul breaks it down into a couple of ways, and I want to click through to this. There's two parts to it. Number one, Paul says, what does it look like when you're allowing transformation to take place in your life? Well, these words remind us. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, meaning becoming holy, walking into that, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in the way that is holy and honorable. Three elements there. Be sanctified by avoiding sexual immorality and learning self-control. Learning self-control. Some, some of us are like, I don't know how we make that jump. See, sexual purity was a vital point of difference to aspire to 
and to maintain. Now, God gives us the power of his Holy Spirit, but it takes us to make that first step into the things that he's called us to. It's not just, hey, I can, I can jump into this willy-nilly and it's going to be fine. See, God knew the power of sex to bring joy, sure, but also sexual sin, to bring destruction, to bring harm. He knew that. And that action of, of standing out alone went against so much of the world then as it does now. So much of what the world saw as a freedom in today continues to be a question that people ask for selfish reasons. To be self-controlled and to reject certain attitudes, that always cost you something. It always cost you something. There was a, a guy that I knew in, in, in another church. He was a businessman. He decided that he would not um, trade with certain organizations because of their stance and because of what their product did. It harmed other people. He made a component. He didn't want to sell it to them. Lost thousands, I'm sure, but he made a stand. He was saying, you know what? I create these components not for that purpose because I'm a human. I'm a Christian who desires for those to be used for holy things. He made that decision. It cost him something. A cost often that we reject pain personally, isn't it? Because, well, there's often easier ways. We just fake our way around it, pretend like we did something. Yeah, I gave that to that person. No, we didn't. It's easier for us to just wish it all away. And the thing is, it's not an automated response. We kind of wish when we become a Christian that there's just the supernatural switch that goes on back there, and that all of a sudden, I just desire everything that's holy and purposeful in God. It's not true, though, is it? It's this, yeah, I was, I was led to believe that when I became a Christian. You know, God will just magically make something go away. I don't believe that's what God does. I believe God calls us into a rigorous pursuit of the things of the Spirit. And actually, he's given us, within us, his Spirit, everything we need to accomplish the things that he desires of us, it just means that we have to step into it. We have to live into that way of being together. It's a life-altering, radical adherence to a way of living that brings transformation. But we often don't step into it. It's something that has to be strengthened daily, day by day, something that God is bringing to life in us. And it's a way that can only be experienced by living into it. There's a, I used to live in Wellington. Everyone lives in Wellington? This picture I get is, is you know, in Wellington you walk like this, yeah? especially between September and December, like this. And uh, it's quite funny when you see someone fall over. Um, you laugh to yourself, but you say, they're obviously not from Wellington. And I've, I've seen people slip over. I've seen the wind literally pick someone up and throw them on their back. It's, it's alarming. But anyway, you, you know, you walk like this, your bag trails behind you, you've got a scarf, you've got a hat. People think they're going to Antarctica, but really it's just the wind. They prepare themselves to walk into the wind. And I think that's what we need to do as Christians. We need to understand 
that the life of faith, even empowered by the Spirit, is one of walking into the wind. The world hates everything about what we do. Why? Because we are saying you have to be self-controlled. You can't just arouse any desire you want and jump into it. Christians, you're, you're getting called to, to lean into this wind. And it's not easy. And sometimes it's not fun. <laughs> I want to ask you, how are you leaning into the way of the Holy Spirit in your life at the moment? What is God calling you to, to lean into at the moment? And you're resisting because everything around me says, don't do that. But you're not leaning into that. Sitting right alongside that question, I wonder, what areas of your life are you gaining an ever more complacent attitude toward holiness? Because it just slowly seeps in. It's just something that I become, actually, I just, I just don't really care about that anymore, so I'll just lean into that. The things of value and significance are worth working for, are worth sacrificing for. Sex and sexuality are good gifts given by a wise and loving creator. And when abused and used in ways it wasn't intended, it harms, it even destroys people and it created, that it was created for to enjoy in the right contexts. The pursuit of purity shifts the focus from me to others. It's no longer just this person here who gets hurt by this, but a community, individuals. It's moving from my needs to their needs as well. Now at the other end of the spectrum, <clears throat> we have those who decide I'm gonna be rejecting the transformative work of the Spirit. And I think probably most of us in the room could work out what this means. And so I'll just briefly touch on this. Verse 7 and 8 says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives his Holy Spirit. I think that's a very intense and direct word. There's no ambiguity in that. There's no beating around the bush. There's no chronological snobbery that I can add on top of that. Is there? I think it's, it's very direct. It's something that, that God speaks very clearly and urgently to us. This isn't some fact Paul's come up with. It's something that God has pressed upon them. There is an urgency about it. We've been called into freedom. Freedom from sin that destroys and into a journey that liberates and brings life. But the problem is we don't see that second half, that, that life that is liberating and, and, and gives hope and faith. We, we only see what we've left behind. We get grouchy about what God's called us to lay down because that doesn't look so appealing as that does. God longs for us to become the sort of humans who will truly reflect his image. Paul knows that. And yet with all his loving and rich guidance, the life that we are leaving, it sits behind us, beckoning. There's people in this room who are relatively new Christians who that's a little more 
um, close to their, to their hearts than, than, than they know, than some of you know at the moment. And there's a great meme that uh, illustrates this uh, online at the moment. How many of you have seen this image with words? Yeah. For me, this is a perfect illustration, really, of, of the sinner struggling with the sin. This is actually God's called me to something that is beautiful, something that serves another, something that is, is grounded in love. And yet here I am looking back at the things I shouldn't be looking at. This is used on so many platforms to explain, um, you know, from, from sports right through to, you know, you, I mean, go and look online, you'll see it, all right? Just Google that and you'll find it. There you go. There's some great ones out there. I took the words off because it's actually the image that makes sense to us. There's so many different ways you could, you could word it. Many of us uh, have seen this meme, but it illustrates that attitude that the world has in sight, that they want to live up to. In fact, I think this meme went viral because it sums up so much of that attitude, not just sexually, but of our world at the moment. Whatever desires happen to arise, whatever is aroused within you, keep your options open. Problem with this blasé attitude uh, has that the, and, and what it's created um, and, and, and its destruction and sorrow that it brings among God's people is that we are often reminded painfully and through our own mistakes that we are human and that God gave us a spirit and we're to live into these things. But this sexual immorality, the sexual sin, it's everywhere with us and it's, it's an infused in so many different ways and as we've ever seen this morning. Um, and, and for me, I wanted to put myself in a position where I was reminded of that daily, even monthly. And so I uh, joined the board of um, a freedom business based in one of Kolkata's red light districts. Uh, some friends of mine invited me to be on that board and uh, it's run by uh, friends who have a single-minded devotion uh, to seeing young women some as young as nine or ten, I have an eight-year-old, um, freed from sexual slavery. Uh, I've walked the streets in this area and seen little girls sitting there and know that once mum's done with their next, it's a reminder to me that you're fighting for the right things, to keep that very much at the front of my mind. The more I visit, the more passionate I become about the fight against the evils of a world who care only for an unbridled self-gratification. For me, as I visit, I am reminded of where sexual immorality and the rejection of a life through the Spirit can lead. Not just individuals, but an entire nation. Yes, there is beauty in India, but there is great sadness and brokenness. Holiness is a perpetual journey along an intended path created by God to bless you. Not to harm you, not to inconvenience you, but to bless you. 
We just don't see it. And so we stray from it. To bless those who pursue it and to bless those who are pursued by it. I invite the music team to come this morning as I close. Um, I want to say whatever current state you find yourself in in regard to sexual sin, sexual immorality, I want to reassure you that the right way of life that brings health and vitality to you sits just one step in front of you. You've just got to choose to go there. This morning, it doesn't matter where you are uh, on that journey, where you have been, there is a new beginning just one step away today. And I want to remind every single one of us that there's nothing that Jesus has not overcome by his blood. If you're wrestling with some form of addiction, we have an amazing uh, group of professionals that are connected to us. We'd love to get in contact confidentially. Uh, Eric, our care pastor here, would love to get you connected uh, with the right help. This is something that you need someone to journey alongside you with. And so we want to encourage you. Um, seek help. Make that first step. And there's others here this morning that are just wrestling with what's going on in their own life. Maybe it's thoughts. Maybe it's anything. We've got an amazing prayer team that would love to stand alongside you and pray this morning um, in a few minutes. And so I just want to leave it with you to, to pray and to think about as the team leads.